From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. I'm Sam Brash. All right, so one morning last month, I was sitting at my desk at the Colorado Capitol. You should know that the press room has a speaker that lets us listen in on the House and the Senate. And there was this moment where things got really weird. Because what I heard through that speaker wasn't a human voice. It was this. Some kind of freaky robot choir. It was coming from the state senate. I went down to the chamber where I found this guy. John Cook, state senator, District 13. And a Republican, which means he's in the minority. He caught me up on the morning, how he'd grown frustrated with Democrats, and how quickly they'd been pushing their agenda. Basically, the response is, well, because we can, we're in the majority, tough. So Cook pulled really the only movie he had. He demanded the longest bill he could find be read out loud at length. Think of this as filibuster by clerk. The reading goes on until the bill is done, or the person who asked for it says stop. It's a little over 2,000 pages. 2,000? Yeah, 2,023, I think, is the exact number. Long enough to shut down the state Senate for days. That's when Democrats countered and had a computer speed read the bill instead. Actually, five computers. Courts later ruled the machine reading unconstitutional, but by that time, it was too late. The bill that Cook was most worried about, the thing that pushed him to make such an extraordinary move, had made it through the state Senate. It's a bill about how oil and gas is regulated in Colorado. The legislation makes public health and safety the top priority, and our focus for this episode is... It gives local governments more power over the industry, something activists and some politicians have wanted for years. Right now, as a municipality, we have no regulatory authority to say no. If it's a safety issue that affects your backyard, that should be a city issue. Communities are tired of not feeling safe in their homes, not having a role in the permitting that's going on in their backyards. In trying to meet that demand, Democrats have brought on a massive backlash. Thousands of oil and gas workers rallied in opposition outside the Capitol. I want to hear who is proud to work in oil and gas. There have been hearings full of emotional testimony stretching until 1, 2 in the morning. Colorado's natural gas industry is the lifeblood of our state. The energy industry provides revenue for our local schools, our police, our firefighters. They're part of the fabric of our community. All this over what's essentially a fight between neighbors. In the last few decades, suburbs have expanded, moving people closer and closer to oil and gas drilling. And at the same time, a fracking boom on the front range has moved the industry closer and closer to people. This episode of Purplish, a look back at this battle over your backyard. To really understand it, you got to start with the first city that tried to banish the industry, why it failed, and how that set a standard for the state about who decides what happens down the street, one that's set to change dramatically. Okay, so like a lot of good stories, this one begins with a bang. 
happened on a cold night in February, 35 years ago, in LaSalle, Colorado. It's a tiny town 50 miles north of Denver, right next door to Greeley. Police Chief Carl Harvey was on duty that night. Yeah, it was the graveyard shift that night. Um, it was about a little after 12.30. I had come around on the traffic light and parked in the east parking lot of Wicks Lumber. Wicks was a typical lumber showroom, beams, two-by-fours, and one of the biggest businesses in town. That night, Chief Harvey checked on the property, then turned back onto the highway. And just as I paralleled the uh, Wicks lumber, it blew up. Whoa. <laughs> so did you see it? Did you hear it? What happened? Well, I actually saw it and heard it, yes. Yeah, the roof, the roof line actually came straight up and then straight down. And I've lost hearing in this left ear because of it. No one was killed or injured, but the explosion blew out storefront windows and shook the town awake. Firefighters battled the blaze until dawn. And the cause? Obviously, we thought it was a gas leak. That's because about a week earlier, natural gas had seeped into a hidden old water well and blown a hole in the Wicks parking lot. Chief Harvey says that freaked everybody out. Because we used to be on well water, and almost every uh, old building had a well of some sort. Wells that now could be sleeping time bombs waiting to explode. The LaSalle experience, I mean, that was dramatic. This is Ken Crum. At the time, he lived in Greeley, which is right next door to LaSalle. And you know it wasn't just the lumber yard. That was what was creepy. It came up at a lot of buildings in the area. And businesses had to be shut down and evacuated because they found more gas. Gas in basements, gas and water bubbling up through parking lots. Residents of the area literally couldn't trust the ground beneath their feet. LaSalle even started busing its students to other districts. Officials suspected the cause might be fracking, part of the drilling process that uses pressurized liquid to crack shale rock and release the oil and gas inside. The worry was that process was also pushing gas into those abandoned water wells. That was never confirmed as the cause of the explosion at the Wicks Lumberyard, but Crum says the fear was real. You know, most people, it just shook them and kind of said, hey, you know, what in the world is going on and what can we do about it? This is a moment that's been repeated a lot in more recent fracking fights. Something dramatic happens, an explosion, a leak, a massive drill rig next to a school, and it scares people, enough that they organize and demand action. That's what Ken Crum decided to do more than three decades ago. He was a fractivist before fractivists were a thing. I had no idea what the repercussions would be. I had no idea of the size or the power of the oil and gas lobbies. I had no idea about any of that and really didn't care. I just saw the, the incidences and I saw a possible solution. And so I just did it. That solution? A complete and total ban on oil and gas development inside Greeley. And it's worth pausing here for a second on Ken. Because if you're imagining some die-hard environmentalist, that's not him. See, at that time, there was, I'm sure 35 years ago, what's known today as an environmental movement. But there was no movement significant enough that little old me really knew anything about 
Nah, little old Ken here was just a landscaper. So lawnmowers, etc. You know, who had followed his wife from New York City to Greeley, and Ken says what motivated him was well, just safety of my neighbors, safety of my children. I like the community, and I just didn't think we should, you know, be having people at risk. So Ken initiated a petition to put his plan on the city ballot, and in 1985, the vote came out positive for banning oil and gas. Not just that, it won by a two-to-one margin. And take that in for just a second. Greeley was the first city in the state to ban drilling. Ken thinks it was maybe even first in the country. Not Austin or Los Angeles or Boulder, Greeley. A city that's since become a hub of Colorado's recent oil and gas boom. And Ken says this taught him something about small-town government. At its best, it offered someone like him, someone without a college education, the chance to change his small part of the world. You know, the little community I lived in had been promised a park for a long time. I said, well, neighbors, all we have to do is put in a petition to the city, and if enough of us sign it and get it into the city, we'll probably see activity on our park. You know, and... So I became what's known as an activist and was probably pretty effective at it. So effective that Ken actually managed to get himself elected to a seat on Greeley City Council. But while his own political star was rising, his drilling ban quickly ran into trouble. Once the referendum passed, there was little choice but to pursue litigation. This is another Ken. Ken Lind. I'm an attorney, obviously licensed in the state of Colorado. And back in the 80s, Ken had a couple of clients. It was two brothers. The Lundvall brothers. Both of which have have passed. And they were old-time Colorado types. I mean, cowboy hat wearing, cowboy boots, um, true gentlemen of the West. And these brothers owned mineral rights inside of Greeley. They'd even been issued permits by the city to drill four wells in a residential area. After voters passed Ken Crum's ban, they had to scrap those plans. It's a significant loss because they had entered into contracts for drilling. They had paid for the leases. So yes, it was uh, a major blow to their operations. So this Ken, he sued the city on their behalf. And he was pretty confident he'd win because there's this law, the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Act, which says the industry would be regulated by the state. All you had to do was look at the state statute. In our opinion, it was, it's very simple, folks. Here's what the courts have ruled. Here's what the statute is. There's no case here. Colorado lawmakers wrote this bill in the 1950s. Oil is on the move in a growing progressive American industry, which began with a single well drilled by Colonel... It was a post-war moment when oil and gas development was seen as vital to the future of the state and the country. The Denver-Julesburg Basin had been opened. That's why lawmakers created a state commission to regulate oil and gas, and why they told those regulators their job was to help foster and develop the industry. Oil is under our lands, our seas, and oil is in the Rockies. Ken Lind, the attorney Ken, thought the law pretty clearly prevented local governments like Greeley from impeding the efficient production of oil and gas. And in 1992, he was proven right. The state Supreme Court considered his case and ruled... The 
drilling ban is invalid, period. The Oil and Gas Commission controls. End of case. The decision set down a clear precedent for self-governing cities in Colorado. It said communities could manage the impacts of oil and gas development in their boundaries. They just couldn't block someone's access to their mineral rights or exceed state authority. And this has come up again and again and again in recent years. It's why courts have slapped down more recent drilling limits. Local bans and moratoriums on fracking are illegal. This is the ruling from the Colorado Supreme Court. It states that bans on fracking, such as that in Longmont, and moratoriums on the industry, like that in Fort Collins, are unconstitutional. And it's given the state legal ammunition to sue other places trying to keep oil and gas out. Today, the state attorney general filed a lawsuit against the Boldy County Commissioner alleging that their moratorium goes against a recent Supreme Court ruling. But all that started to change in 2013, when one person found drilling outside his front door. A guy whose name I bet you know. Just without any warning, last week we got word that there's fracking going on, like right near my driveway. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, that guy and how he's working to change the game on oil and gas in Colorado. A new Colorado Public Radio podcast explores how a shooting 20 years ago changed the country. I want to bring you up to date at the shooting at Columbine High School. which is of the community of Littleton. The prayers of the American people are with you. Now survivors of the attack have their own kids. I didn't really tell you about Columbine until you were 11 years old. And a whole scientific field has emerged to stop the next shooter. Search for Since Columbine wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so back in 2013, an Australian company called Sundance Energy started work on a fracking site in Weld County. Now, normally, this would not be news. But this particular site, it was across the street from a country home, a home that just so happened to belong to one rather wealthy Democratic congressman. When I last left, everything was fine. This is where uh, my partner's dad and sister live. We were planning on coming up here. This, of course, is Jared Polis. He filmed the moment he first saw the operation and put it online. That is, that's the oil rig, or that's the drilling rig right there. This is like, um, basically, we're living in an oil, oil zone now. Polish shows up to his house. It's a white two-story home next to a pond. And now, towering over it is a massive red, white, and blue drilling rig. I mean, just comically huge. They're building it. Uh, by the time we can even figure out if there's any evidence that they're violating any of the laws, they'll have drilled their well. It's a done deal. I mean, the property, it's done. It's, 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 it's over. You know, this part of our Colorado dream is over. Polis stands there, crestfallen, and watches as workers line the site with a fabric sound barrier. And right here, this is when he makes it clear that this is about to get a lot bigger than just one drilling rig. Uh, for better or for worse, you know, I think that uh, the universe here has conspired to help make me a poster boy for the face of fracking. And I'll use the increased visibility to help pass sensible regulations. Um, I always have talked about these issues in and with that, Polis and his millions joined a growing tug-of-war over fracking on the Front Range. He backed a pair of ballot initiatives that would have overturned the precedent set down in Greeley and let local communities lock the industry out. It's like any other kind of industrial operation. I think it's uh, up to communities to decide if they want to incorporate that into their economic development strategy or not. But just as it looked like the 2014 election was going to be a giant referendum on oil and gas development, 
Polis blinked. A major compromise on fracking that could avoid a nasty legal fight in November. Governor John Hickenlooper cutting a deal with Boulder Congressman Jared Polis. This is the way that we do things in Colorado. You have all the interests at the table. You work through the the differences and difficulties, and you figure out what what is a compromise that that serves all parties. Obviously, this will be disappointing to some of my uh, constituents, Republican and Democratic, but I would point out to them that there's been progress made. So Polis agreed to pull the ballot initiatives in exchange for a state-level panel to examine potential oil and gas reforms. And Polis was right. That did not sit well with activists who wanted more checks on the industry. But the anti-fracking crowd attacked Polis for caving to political pressures. If you could sum it up, sum up your feelings. uh, Betrayal. Now, that was not the last time Polis broke with the grassroots. He also opposed Prop 112 last year. That was the failed effort to expand the mandatory setbacks around new wells. But fast forward to this spring, and Congressman Polis has a new job. And he has not forgotten about this issue. And with that said, I'd like to introduce the governor, Jared Polis. Last month, Polis joined Democratic leaders to announce the legislation we mentioned at the top of the show. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach to how we view integrating oil and gas development into different communities. Yet under current law, communities are hamstrung in creating rules that work for their local residents. This has long been a theme for Polis. He's not a fan of stricter statewide regulations. Instead, Polis says local governments should have more power over the industry. And like a lot of people at the Capitol, he boils that down to just two words. In this area, I said I would put health and safety first and support local control. We're proposing it move to local control. And of course, I'm very supportive of local control in all things, as you know. Local control. It's the idea that local governments should decide where and how something happens inside their boundaries. And just like states' rights, local control is a term politicians love to throw around. You know, everyone supports states' rights until they don't. Everyone supports local control until they don't. I think people use it as a talking point for whatever issue of the day is going on. This is Democratic State Senator Steve Fenberg. He's one of the authors of this bill, and he argues that in this case, local control isn't about messaging. No, the conflict exists because communities don't feel like the state was doing enough, and those communities are the ones that are begging for more authority. Adams County is asking for it. Broomfield, Superior, yes, Boulder County, but also other places. Okay, here's where we actually have to get into the nitty-gritty and explain this bill. So... This legislation does shift power over the industry from the state to local governments. And it does that by clarifying that cities and counties get to say exactly where drilling happens. Because right now, we are seeing that some operators are putting these industrial activities right next to playgrounds, right down the street from where people live. The legislation also says that state regulators will no longer be working to foster responsible oil and gas development. Instead, their job will be to regulate the industry to protect health and safety. And if local governments feel they aren't doing a good enough job at that, those governments can set even stricter rules. We've always said the the reforms we want to make is create a floor at the state level, not a ceiling. That's the pitch, right? You know, the authors of this bill have marketed it as 
let local communities make local decisions. The reality is something quite different. This is Ben Martyr, a spokesman for the American Petroleum Institute. Martyr knows local control sounds good in theory, but he says it could make it impossible for his industry to work in Colorado. Creating a patchwork of different regulations in the state isn't good for anybody. We could have a situation where every single county has different regulations, different local laws, and the laws could be changing from stoplight to stoplight. Martyr says that's just uncalled for and could lead to big problems. Maybe the right to say, I want my county commissioners doing this, is outweighed by the hit to Colorado's revenue. And, you know, what happens to school districts that depend on this, on this revenue source? Now, it's hard to know exactly how this bill will play out on the ground. To be clear, it does not allow local governments to ban oil and gas development outright. But we don't know what rules they'll try to pass and how far the courts will allow them to go. But here's one thing we do know. This legislation marks a huge change from that decision in Greeley, which upheld that oil and gas development is so important, so technical, that cities and counties can't really get in its way. And there's one person who thinks this change is the wrong call. One person I did not expect. I really feel we need the oil and gas industry in Colorado. You know, not only the energy it produces, but the jobs and the economy. This is Ken Crum, the guy who passed Greeley's drilling ban all those years ago. A lot has changed since then. He's moved out of the city, and now he goes by his given first name, Lloyd. I just decided it was time for me to move on and, you know, and create a new few years for my life, a few decades. Today, Lloyd Crum develops subdivisions. He lives in one of them, in Fort Collins, atop a hill he built for his own home. He says the work has helped change his perspective on drilling bans, including the one he passed more than 30 years ago. I felt satisfied at the end of the day, many years later, that, in fact, the judge came down with the correct ruling. The real issue in court was uh, the taking of people's property rights. And you had never heard of that before? No, no, I, uh, I didn't really know what it was. I mean... At that point, I think I had purchased my first house, and that's all I knew about property was my house and my lot. I didn't know the much bigger, bigger picture about property. Crum says he knows now that property isn't just about owning land. It's about owning what lies underneath it. Oil and gas, mineral rights that people are counting on for their salaries and retirements and profits. The country was founded on people's yearning to own property rather than just the government and great landlords in Europe. I mean, just a handful of people were allowed to own property. It's a sacred right to us to own property, and we shouldn't give it up easy. And this is the next frontier for this fight. The legislature has approved the bill with some concessions to the industry. Governor Polis is expected to sign it. And once he does, cities and counties can start enacting stricter regulations. You can bet that some of those will end up in court, which means that none of this is over. It's just one more step in a decades-long battle between people worried about safety and people worried about property. And with a growing population, a warming climate, and an industry counting on wealth stored in the ground, this state is a long way from an answer. 
That's it for this month's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about becoming a CPR member or join today at CPR.org. I reported, wrote, and produced this episode. Rebecca Romberg made it sound amazing. Brad Turner composed our theme music, and additional music you heard came from that same Brad Turner, Daniel Mesher, and Blue Dot Sessions. And this episode was edited by Megan Verlee and Rachel Esterbrook. We'll be back next month with one more show summing up the 2019 legislative session. Until then, thanks for listening.